because it's it's hard challenges when you're in there and then to eat like you get nothing for it other than the story and it was just like you shouldn't give me my freaking story i came <laughs> down this path for my story Live from the Mundangerous Gap here in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to Actual Play Episode 15 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're debriefing after our playthrough of 5th edition D&D's Sunless Citadel. What did we like? What did we change? What would we do differently? And, of course, most importantly, how did we screw up? A lot. <laughs> okay so before we get into that though uh, uh worth noting for posterity right we're now six years into this uh, god yes during this ap hiatus we hit six years it seems worth mentioning i guess through sheer inertia that we should mention we are still in the height of the pandemic gen con is in this weird hybrid format this year 2021 and we are doing a panel uh for gen con online rather than attending oh yes oh dear lord we are not attending um but you can tune in on saturday september 18th at 1 p.m eastern time on zoom for our panel skin deep playing realistic non-human rpg characters if you go to gencon.com slash events you can search for total party thrill you can get a free ticket and that will ensure that you get the link i guess it's uh confusing how that's going to work yeah, you'll get a Zoom link at some point. Uh, there's also a link in the show notes for this episode. Uh, we're going to expand upon stuff we've talked about on the show before. What is it like to play non-human characters? How do you take into account different physiologies, different psychologies, different social outlooks, and things like that in order to actually you know, spin out a backstory and you know, realistic or believable, fun and interesting responses to the game world and the GM and other characters? So if that sounds interesting, once again, GenCon.com slash events and search for total party thrill join us saturday september 18th at 1 p.m also hey this is the last technically ap episode it's not it's not really ap it's the debrief um but it's over where the hiatus is ending and in two weeks we will be back to our regular schedule which means we'll be back to weekly episodes this is terrifying yeah i know that's, <laughs> that's gonna be a lot of recording yeah okay crap well we've uh, we've committed to it on the air now. What if we go back to like, you know, maybe every other week we do AP so that we don't have to record so much, Ishan? Or like one week a month? I don't know. Something like, uh, let us let us know. Shoot us a message. Hop on Discord and let us know what you think. What should we do? I mean, we keep, we for six years, we've been like, we're not an AP show. Come on. That's, there's so many actual plays out there. Why would we do that? Right. But, you know, maybe we're like an AP sprinkling after, you know, six months we've tasted the power and now we just got to get more. It's so much easier to do actual plays. <laughs> you don't have to write notes. <laughs> you don't have to come up with 300 different topics. Anyway, for now, back to our, our regular format. Um, Gates of Morning returns, Character Creation Forge returns and, you know, all your all your favorite stuff and none of the Tez. No Tez. No more Tez. No one needs that. All right, let's hop in. Debrief. Everybody, this is, uh, you know, this is what you do at the end of uh, every campaign, right? You're like, oh my God, I love that. I hated that. No, you say lose my number. <laughs> <laughs> I never want to talk to you again. Oh yeah, I murdered your character. I didn't think, I didn't think we needed to be friends in real life. So let's kick it off with this then. Let, what are your thoughts on Sunless Citadel without the lens of nostalgia? Because Shane, we picked this in the first place because... You had good memories of it from 3.5 D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. I had pretty good memories of it, but neither of us like was intimately familiar with the 5th edition version before we started playing. For me, uh, it turns out that my nostalgia was mostly for like the very beginning parts of it. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't remember the middle or end. So I was like, I was along for the ride. Like I, I knew, I knew about the vampire tree. Right. And I knew that that was, that was the cause of the twig blights. Um, and I remembered Meepo. And I didn't remember anything in between, <laughs> so it was uh, it was kind of like experiencing it all new for me again. Uh, but I definitely remember that stupid method before you meet Meepo, and I avoided that idiot. It's interesting that you remember Meepo so vividly because Meepo is like less than half a page mm -hmm. in the actual module because there's no there's barely any characterization. You no, know, he's kind of cowardly. He does this job, and then as soon as you get the dragon back. Um, the kobolds are like, you can keep him if you want, but that's it. He never gets mentioned again because it can't assume you took him. 
the reason that because uh, i'm not the only one here right like meepo is a character that like lots of people like remember and i think i i honestly think it's one because the module does sort of telegraph that you can hear crying <laughs> um and so that immediately like sets the encounter differently than everything else in that dungeon which is open a door and something tries to kill you or walk through a door ring a bell and something comes to try to kill you i think the fact that his name is meepo has like really really done a lot of work because meepo is an inherently funny goofy but like enjoyable name to say you know yeah, it's like, endearing it's my buddy meepo <laughs> i think it's interesting i think you're right about this and and i think so many people remember the character because when they played it in 3.5 basically every gm was like oh this is this is great i'm gonna play up this character i can do a lot with this it set itself up in a way that like you know gms always want to have that npc you want to talk to right and i i feel like in those 3.5 days that wasn't really Certainly at my at the age I was when I was playing this module, that was not something that my friends were looking for. They mm -hmm. were just looking to fight and kill stuff. And so, like, you had this thing where if you were the DM who liked to do that, then you were told this thing is crying. It, it is really hard to make the leap from it's crying and sobbing. You walk in and it attacks you. Right. Right. So you're almost like disarmed as the GM. You can't do that. And then also, like, as players, you're like disarmed because here's this thing that is like obviously miserable and completely innocent and you're just going to murder them in cold blood. Like, I'm sure groups did that, but like lots of groups didn't because it was weird. And you just want to know what happens. And and it's named Meepo, for God's sake. <laughs> so I, how are you going to kill a Meepo? I wonder if there was a crossover. Because like around the same time, I think just a couple of years later, Neverwinter Nights came out. And like the expansions included a kobold character that you could take on as a hireling called Deacon. It was kind of the same thing. Like sort of ridiculous and, you know, was a bard and like traveling around and like writing stories and like hung on your every word. Look, if you know Neverwinter Nights and you listen to this actual play, you can tell that I drew a bunch of Deacon into like how I ended up <laughs> uh, sort of characterizing Meepo. But I wonder like if it was sort of cyclical, if like someone who developed Neverwinter Nights had had encountered Meepo and then other people playing the module just a few years after it came out had already seen Deacon and were like, oh, yeah, kobolds. Kobolds are kobolds are great friends. Why not? And this is one of those things that we could probably like track down Bruce Cordell and, and ask about <laughs> um, <laughs> if we were so inclined. But like, I wonder if like the play experience uh, for a lot of people was also informed by Baldur's Gate. Mm -hmm. Baldur's Gate was the the first game that really like so faithfully adapted D&D rules, but then didn't just make you do D&D fights. Like it gave you role play opportunities that actually influenced the game, like within the mechanics of D and D. And like, granted, that was you know AD and D, and and this was in three point five. But I just feel like that like might have changed incrementally the direction of the game because it showed that 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 sort of stuff was also possible. You know, I was in that age range where like the fun part of D and D was math and fighting, and so like any type of contraindication to that was like a net gain for my role play discovery. <laughs> Looking at Sunless Citadel now, it really strikes me that it actually holds up as a pretty straightforward dungeon crawl. You know, mm -hmm. you've got very clear goals. You're in this town. They say, go to this place. There, there isn't anywhere else to go, nor is there any hook to send you anywhere else. Right. You go to the location. You go inside. You clear the first level. You go to the second level. You go to the third level. There's no, there's nothing else to do. The rooms all funnel you, funnel you to a particular destination, so there isn't really a maze to get lost in. And there even are a couple of meaningful RP choices. You can decide to help the kobolds. You could massacre them all. Like if you're an actual party and you've gotten to like level two, you probably could take all of them. Like you, you could kill everything on the entire floor and mm -hmm. then go down and, and take care of Balak. Or, you know, be friends, whatever. Right. Or play one against the other, like the goblins against the kobolds or vice versa. There's a lot of lore baked into Sunless Citadel, and I think that's, like, take it or leave it, right? Like, I think that is one of the things that also holds up really well and, and makes it really interesting is that, like, there's a history to the place. It's actually kind of cool to, like, learn about what this dungeon is and what it was and how it got to be that way. Uh, so that's one of the things that I also, I, I do actually remember about it that I think does hold up really well is, like, it doesn't feel like a generic hole in the ground that you're walking through room by room and clearing out for treasure. It feels like a real lived in place that you are adventuring through with a purpose. And I, I just think it, it does do that really well. Not everyone really knows that this is actually the first module in an adventure path, kind of, sort of. 
in 3.5. Like it went to Heart of Night, Night Heart of Nightfang Spire. It went to Bastion of uh, Unborn Souls. I think it was. Didn't it go to Forge of Fury. That's the next one in Tales of the Yawning Portal. I don't remember if oh. the 3.5 one went that direction. You find out more about a Shardalon, kinda, sorta, a little bit. You find out more about Galthias. I didn't know any of that. This module feels like there are a bunch of names that are dropped and they don't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And if you're just playing the 5e version, you're right. They don't they don't lead to anything. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit because that's an interesting challenge slash opportunity for GMs. Another thing that struck me is it's basically like a direct port of the 3.5 module. So it's a direct port of like something written in basically 2000, I think it was. So there are a lot of old school tropes in abundance. The characterization of the goblins is 100% drunken, lazy, and primitive. It also like it has that trope of just sort of ignoring the denizen, like the the realism of the denizens. You know, like it's cool that there's two different groups with two different cultures. Granted, one of those cultures sucks or sucks in its characterization, but like it doesn't really explain why they're both there, why mm. they're fighting still, like why this is still unresolved. Like it definitely never explains how they got this dragon down there. Yeah. <laughs> um, or why why it hasn't tipped the balance of power. Right. Why doesn't it just murder all of them? It, there's yeah. no explanation. It, it, it is. So it, like and a lot of that stuff feels like very old school, right? Uh, even though it is like, you know, a more interesting sort of fridge logic than a lot of times you get in some of those like the really old dungeons right it's not um like randomly generated you know it's not every time you open a door there's new stuff in here and it has nothing to do with what's in the next room but right if you think too deeply about it it doesn't make any sense yeah it has an ecology that is just good enough for fridge logic i guess (laughs) which is an improvement um and and i think like even in our recording right there were points where i was like as a player, I'm like, how does this make any sense? <laughs> and you're just kind of like, uh, just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> I had to spin a lot. We'll get to that in terms of like making a coherent storyline out of this. Sure. Um, and part of that, I think, is you got all of the lore that's available in the module. You needed some help getting there because this does that thing where it'll gate some of the lore behind perception checks or secret doors or it's fine to put treasure there, I guess, you know, if you're not worried about wealth by level, but to put your story behind like needing someone to roll a 20 on a perception check is ridiculous. So this is one of those cases where us, us being an actual play and like having a performance element helped me as a player because that stupid dragon priest, the the Mm -hmm. troll dragon priest, like that room needs a high check to find the history that makes that room worth going to. There's nothing in that room, that secret door, except the lore. Right. It's an expensive room to go into because it's it's hard challenges when you're in there. And then to eat, like you get nothing for it other than the story. And it was just like, Ishan, give me my freaking story. I came <laughs> down this path for my story. <laughs> if you listen to that part of the AP, like, you're making a check and, you know, we can both tell you that you failed. You can see that we're both coming up for other reasons for you to make more checks, you know, right? Like, <laughs> hoping that you roll high enough. You never get there. So in the end, like we talked about this, I just put the lore in the sarcophagus. Yeah, this is this is one of those things where, like, I think trying to adhere to the module kind of undermined play, right? Because, mm-hmm. like, that definitely needs a fail forward. Like, the like you make the check but the check needs to be for you know something above like that baseline lore that makes this place actually interesting right like you said some treasure or a personal insight or something like that makes sense to gate check that but like the history of this dragon priest like it cannot be behind a dc20 check because otherwise why in the hell is there a random troll here right (laughs) exactly That's a good segue into talking about what we changed and what we added to the module. We changed a fair amount, especially on the tail end. The original plan was, you know, we're on hiatus. We're trying not to do too much work with two babies. So let's just run a pre-written module. And so mostly I'm just reading the box text. Mm -hmm. And then and only then after we play a few was I like, okay, no, some of this doesn't make any sense. Uh, (laughs) Some of this needs to be more interesting. Uh... We suck it in Eberron, so let's let let's sort of start switching things up. Yeah, we got a brand to maintain here, okay? Right. <laughs> so the first thing that changed is we connected I connected this town to the citadel, right? We um I forget the I think it's Oakhurst is the name of the actual town in the module. We called it yep. Mistmarsh 
uh, a town in Breland. But there's no connection to the, the Sunless Citadel. There, there's no history connection whatsoever. Why does it exist here? Why has only this one adventuring party gone there? There's no explanation. And that didn't really make sense to funnel you in there, especially when Tez is a character who is interested in history and lore and, and secrets and things like that, you know? That is one of those fridge logic moments of like, how did these level two adventurers find this place, hear about this place, think that they were strong enough to go down there, fight their way through kobolds and goblins to then get to the, like, the outcat? Like, it's just like, yeah, sure, you're following another adventuring party, but like, why aren't there dozens of adventuring parties who've gone to this place mm -hmm. if it's common knowledge? And if it's not common knowledge, how did they find out about it? And why has nobody gone looking for them? Like, it's just, right. it's a little bit goofy. How is it not ransacked for 2,000 years and the only thing guarding it is rats? Right, exactly. So, you know, it made more sense to like have there be a festival and, you know, explain that the goblins show up for some reason and they must be coming from somewhere and mm -hmm. old Garen has heard stories. And, you know, that gives us more characterization and also points the characters very much in the direction of the Citadel and actually be interested in going there. You made up like all the NPCs in town, right? <laughs> there are names and there are races and there are genders. The, that's basically it but yeah i mean every personality of every npc i had to make up either on the fly because i was like oh crap you're gonna visit the priest all right all right let's figure out what corky knackle was like <laughs> and then you know meepo obviously whole cloth and Erky timbers is is an entire fabrication nothing Erky timbers does in our actual play has anything to do with the module he's in a cage he's obviously there so that if you don't have a healer in your party he can join the party and like just spit out cure wounds and that's it but there's right. no information about him whatsoever there's no reason that he would be down there there's no reason the kobold wouldn't know who he was there's mm -hmm. no reason that the goblins would have him and keep him it literally like he is just floating out there on an island there's no reason why he has 17 hit points and uh five hit dice yeah <laughs> i also standardized like the perception or investigation checks for traps. Um, I don't know if this was like a relic of early 5th edition, but the module will sort of like toggle willy-nilly between this trap takes a perception check to find, or this trap takes an investigation check to find, or or whatever, and it hardly ever calls out either or. And I was just like, uh, all right, investigation is for traps and perception is for like noticing stuff, okay? So, <laughs> and then I would just, after a while, I was just like, I'm going to stop saying what the module says and I, I will just call for the thing that we have established. Right, yeah. And and then also, so you can be like, I make a perception check, right? And then, you know, early on, I had to be like, can you also make an investigation check? <laughs> <laughs> and then you get tired and you go, perception or investigation, whichever one you feel like rolling. They're yeah. both plus two. I mean, you're looking around carefully, right? All right, all right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I also did that with the, the light. Um, you had dark vision, so it didn't really matter that much. There is technically a minus five to your passive perception uh, penalty and also disadvantage if uh, you're in dim light on perception. But I was just like, uh, I'll apply it when necessary. And if you need to look at stuff, I, you're, we're assuming you light a torch. And then you put out a torch. And then you light a torch. Whatever. That would have been very annoying in 5th edition or in 3rd in edition too. I, I'm sure that's a standard minus 5 penalty. That's just one. Doesn't exist in 5th edition. Like we don't do that anymore, right? <laughs> like you just have disadvantage now. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, well, disadvantage in the end, the minus five to your passive perception. Right. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, it's all really annoying. And then some characters get it and some characters don't. Fortunately, all of you had dark vision. You also did me a huge favor because I had the map uh, and I still <laughs> got lost <laughs> without having like, you know, tokens or something to represent what room we're actually in. I really appreciated that sometimes you just streamlined sections of the dungeon and were like, you can make a left or a right. <laughs> Great. <laughs> or like, this says there are two more doors. Doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. There's nothing in there. Oh, so, right. Yeah. <laughs> I think that made for a better show and it definitely made me a lot less frustrated as a player wandering around lost, wondering if there's anything in this old broom closet. And that is one benefit of D&D &D Beyond is there are player versions of all the maps. So I was just like, here's the link. You can look at it. You can, oh, where are you? Uh, the swirly bit up on the left. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and yeah, I did eventually start taking time to tie the disparate elements that are present in this story and the lore into something kind of coherent. I love lore, and that's almost the most important thing to me. And like, in order to have an interesting actual play, I feel like 
all of the tidbits that Tez were pick, was picking up, it wouldn't make any sense or it would be sort of like deflating in the end for those to go nowhere, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, even even like the name of Shardalon is like behind that one goblin and you have to pull the spear out and like look behind the body. But if you don't do that, then you'd never find out that this is a cult of a Shardalon. Right. There's a Quasit. Why the heck is there a Quasit here? Well, we know it's because it's just a random thing from the monster manual. <laughs> Uh, it, it had no tie to like a Shardalon and him sticking a Baylor in his chest. So, you know, put those two things together. Why is there a troll here? It's because they picked a troll out of the monster manual and they were like, we need to have an excuse for it to be here. So it used to be a dragon priest and it turned itself into a troll. Right. <laughs> uh, Kalsrix, why is the dragon here? Like you said, no explanation. So I had to give a reason why Kalsrix was here. And then the Gothias tree, you know, a vampire was killed. But like, why is the vampire here? No explanation. The Goliath Street history, I don't know if we actually touched on it in the actual play, but it's like it grew like it, it was a vampire Goliath who was staked with <laughs> like a living sapling. Right. And right. then the sapling grew and and then like his soul inhabits the tree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which which I think is actually really cool. And I'm sure like if you follow the adventure path that that maybe goes somewhere. Um, so I do think that's a cool element. It, it doesn't really come out very well because there's no there's no history of Goliath in the in the module right Mm -hmm. or at least not in the like not to be found by players anywhere so it's like a little bit goofy in case you hadn't guessed the entire epilogue of um tez going and getting his diploma and the thesis defense was obviously completely made up and doesn't exist in the module in any in any capacity yeah as as was everything with scalabro that was my interjection like (laughs) the night of i was like hey i'm declaring this to be true because it's cool let me do it and you were like oh that's a great idea to put into like the next adventure and i was like no (laughs) i want it now and we'll fix it in flashbacks (laughs) all right all right (laughs) give me scalabro as an actual sidekick you took away erky (laughs) right (laughs) you made him turn on me and i need something else (laughs) sure i mean it's certainly not gonna hurt the balance right (laughs) i gotta come up with a voice but whatever um and then like a lot of things that we changed had to do with us porting it over to eberron and i think grounding in eberron was such a good idea it added to the sense of weird Mm. because there's so much history uh to eberron and i think like i I think you just took the timing that was like straight out of the module of like this place is two thousand years old (laughs) and like when you read that out loud and i go wait a minute that predates modern corvair And it's like, you got a week to figure out why. <laughs> you know, like, I always want to GM now one hour at a time because <laughs> I, I always have like a week or two to be like, oh, man, OK, what happens next? And why the heck did this happen? You should never go to inform you that a lot of those episodes were like two hours at a time. But <laughs> yeah, OK, but not four or six. True. Uh, we did have to switch up the characterization of the monster races like you just you just can't have lazy drunken goblins in eberron or like it actually comes across as racist that's one of the parts of eberron that i like is like the dakani history right Mm -hmm. and so like i mean i like it so you know it's history so i just gave tez that knowledge which probably was too rare to really give to just you know a, a student but um but i i like i really liked that aspect of like appealing to their like you know their sense of self and like wondering why like why is this colony here and why is it still here so like how has it been here for so long like isolated from the rest of the empire that's something that i actually if we do another episode or like another series like i would love to spend time figuring that out i think that's actually like actually cooler than like further (laughs) excavating like the sunken citadel or the yeah i think that don't they call it the sunken citadel when people refer to it in the module too sometimes yes yeah Speaking of knowledge that Tez shouldn't have, he probably wouldn't know about the chamber. The chamber, so yeah. We're going to need to figure out how he knows about the chamber and how the chamber feels about him talking in front of all these people about the chamber. Yeah. <laughs> you were doing it, and I was like, I could tell him he doesn't know that, but no, this is this is more interesting. Let's just yeah. do it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Problem is, I've played it ever on too long. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of which, elves and dragons, like, I'm pretty sure you mentioned this to me. I don't remember if it was even on air, but you were like, what are you talking about elves who like are part of a dragon cult? That doesn't make any sense given (laughs) Eberron. Like they hate each other. So I had to like come up with a reason that there's an elven cult of like this dragon anyway. Yeah, right. It was oops. (laughs) Uh, All the tech. There's there's no like tech stuff 
in the module, right? So all the artifice, um, the stasis fields, like none, none of that exists, right? So we sort of shoved that in there with artifice, plus there was a gnome, so what else are you going to do? How much of like the laboratory and stuff did you actually make up, and how much of that was just in there, and it was like, oh, this is just Eberron stuff? It's pretty much all made up. The laboratory, I think, had like alchemical agents, and it did have that giant rat with the potion that basically like diseased it. Mm-hmm. There were some goblins in there basically working with fungus, but all the like mechanical apparatus, the stasis field, the um, Mabar and energy, all of that was like me giving a reason that other stuff that shows up in the module is actually here. And, and I think that combined with like um, Belak's study, which again, don't know how much you, you recharacterize that, but like, I think that does give like a lot of, a lot of sense of Eberron is that like, even a villain who is a druid, who is just like, sending these twig blights into the world there's an element of like science and exploration and documentation to that that like doesn't feel medieval fantasy at all Mm -hmm. belak is like a really weird druid because like he's a scholar which means he's highly educated like if he's making that many notes you know like that's not super common in traditional fantasy Mm -hmm. bringing that into eberron though it's just like oh he's like sort of a mad scientist right like in his own right um which which is very eberron right like suddenly everyone is using the scientific method and no one's questioning why you would do that they're like oh of course (laughs) he's keeping notes oh this is iteration one yeah yeah yeah, i get it he's got crop rotations of course he does (laughs) of course he does and then you know erky all of that with the trust obviously um and erky being well a character who was interesting in any capacity was made from whole cloth so mad i'm so mad about that (laughs) i'm so mad well i needed an explanation because like you have his sheet and he has the most hit points and he's a second level character with five hit dice but only first level spells like and i was just like uh i mean like maybe he's a half caster that explains it right maybe he's way higher level than this and he's holding back okay yep yep erky's a plant got it i want to clarify that you needed to explain that for you you did not need to explain that for me. I was perfectly happy with my buddy, Erky, okay? You ruined a good thing, Ishan. <laughs> You're going to love him. You're going to love him as 004 or whatever he's going to be. <laughs> for every Erky you lose along the way, you find a Scalabro, though. When the GM kills an Erky, they open a Scalabro. <laughs> a rib cage or something. All right, so let's talk about uh, doing this in terms of solo play, because obviously this is not a module written for that. Mm-hmm. I think... I think this is our first time doing solo play. Is it for you? I think it's my first time playing solo D and D. I've played uh, I've played some other games solo that were allegedly designed for it. I'm uh, I we haven't talked about Knights Black Agents one to one like solo ops, but um, I played that with my with my mom and found that to be very frustrating. <laughs> like, mm. I was like, ah, I see what's going on with this now, and I don't like it, and. We're going to continue this with Knights Black Agents. <laughs> Is it because it was too easy for your mom? She's just no-scoping everything? No, it, it, it's that there was a fear of improv, um, oh, like weird. inherent in the game setup and design. And like, so it's very like card and like physical tool driven, which means it's highly prep driven, um, which just felt weird to me when I was like, the best part about solo play is that you only have to improv for one person. <laughs> Like, and the best part about Knights Black Agents is you don't is you don't have to plan anything. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> like it just it did not feel uh it it didn't feel necessary. So that yeah, I mean I don't think I've played solo D anD D. I've right. never been Same. a solo player anyway. I think this offered a lot of benefits. I mean I had to prep a lot less. I, I prepped almost none, mm-hmm. but I could prep a lot less because I didn't need to worry about too many different storylines. And Tez could just explore however much he wanted and take as much time as he wanted. I didn't need to worry about giving him too much spotlight because he gets the entire spotlight. Right. And I didn't need to worry about like, if you're like, okay, I spend an hour copying these frescoes, that doesn't matter. And I don't need to fill that time for the other characters. Right. And <laughs> yeah. here, and no one else needs to be like, well, either I do something else and that takes up too much game time or let's hand wave that and just say everyone stands around. We never had to ask what you're doing. From a story, show, entertainment perspective, I think that is distracting. Hey, fill in the time. Mm -hmm. But the protagonist thing that's happening right now is like making these notes, right? And, And of course, like if you make the notes, they have to be relevant somehow. 
and the, and so that then becomes the challenge right of like all all these activities that you're doing that you're like asking everyone around the table like how do you spend this time if you aren't just opting out of the time then you've got to make them like it just it 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 does lead to a lot of stuff like it just adds friction to every like every momentum swing you know like every like action beat like it adds friction to right so I, I really I really enjoyed that. Like and I really liked being able to explore the dungeon in the way that I wanted that was most interesting to me. <laughs> I hope you uh you tracked my interest though because otherwise that must have been excruciating to be focused on these silly dragon and elf cults <laughs> instead of like you know beating up goblins or whatever you wanted me to be doing. Well, it was a nice thing about using a pre-made module and then tweaking it is you had a character who went in and said my character is interested in these things and I was like great, I'm ignoring everything else. Yeah, exactly. And I don't need to make up anything that you won't be interested in. Uh, and you focused on basically two skills. So let's just do all that stuff. You know? <laughs> yeah, two skills, fighting and fighting. 5e has really long combats. This was much faster with just one other player. It was still slow. It was. Partially because of the sidekicks, but much faster because you were in charge of all of them. And so you were just like, okay, they, they do this, 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 and this. Done. And, and we could talk about sidekicks in general, um, but I think the problem that comes with with solo combat is having to keep in mind all the abilities that are available to me, and then having to react as like each as the situation continues to change with each mm. thing that the enemies do, mm -hmm. right? So it's one person having to track three things uh, or three sets of abilities, which is difficult. Uh, it's nice because I don't have to gain any consensus or agreement on what we're going to be doing right i don't have to like negotiate with people to plan things but i still have to keep all that in my head and a lot of times like i miss stuff i misread stuff um you know like i just like overlooked things on my sheet or i fell into like a routine rather than like necessarily being able to like what would tez do in this situation and part of that is because, like, we have a need to keep combat moving um, mm. and doing something right now is more important to, like, flowing through combat than doing, like, the perfect thing. Uh, my thought of taking a rogue in the first place was that I would do a lot of, like, engaging, hiding, retreating, mm -hmm. trapping and sabotaging, make each fight really long, <laughs> but make it really, like, strung out over time and space so that I would be safe. And then by adding the sidekicks back in, that went out the window. You can't do that if you have teammates. Right. Suddenly, they, they don't have stealth capabilities. Right. Yeah. So so Meepo and Ricky die every fight, and Tez fights for three hours straight, <laughs> like hunting these four goblins. <laughs> right. Who's yeah? There was the option. I think it would wouldn't have made a really good actual play, but there would would have been the option to like sort of leave them behind, like you might do in a video game. Tez stealths ahead, kills everything slowly, and then they come along. Right. But I mean, that's that's kind of like the 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 optimizer version. Yeah, and it also is is hard to do. I mean, if the module isn't specifically set up to allow that, like it's very, it's very hard to actually do that. Right, especially with wandering monsters. Yeah, I will say, you know, when we started talking about doing a one on one game, like I definitely wouldn't do this as like a pickup game or even someone that I knew casually. We have been gaming together for what like eight years now. Mm -hmm. I know how you play, you know how I play, I know how you run a game, you know how I run a game. And we still did a lot of like above the table talk, either like beforehand or like some of that got cut out and some of it we left in the episode to like figure out how we were going to play this so that it would go smoothly. But I think a lot of that was because we know we're playing for an audience, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's about making sure that we have an entertaining for product for the audience rather than just like the game that you and I would enjoy playing just the two of us. We, we probably could have like fumbled through it with with some ongoing above the table discussion rather than doing any like kind of organizing and planning in advance just because if we were our only audience who would know well you know i didn't open up the gates of hell and have you start fighting wave after wave of demon which i think would have been really interesting yet yeah that's true it's a good point it's an excellent point so let's talk about some other stuff that we would do differently Part of the reason that we did this is so that it wouldn't take too much effort, but I would plan from the jump. Read the entire module before we actually start playing it. <laughs> I, I read like section one. I was like, all right, let's play this. And then, you know, each time I was like, okay, I got to read the rest of the module. But I ended up getting locked into some things early on that um, I wasn't in. Like, I didn't want to play out later, but I was like, well, there's, there's no way that I can get out of this. So here we are and let's just go with it. Like what? Some of the characterization of the um, 
the NPCs back at, at town, I think could have been more interesting or or less interesting, right? Like there was just there was just a lot of them right at the beginning mm-hmm. and all kind of like sort of saying the same thing, which is what the module says is here's the information that you can get from everybody. Most people know the same stuff, right? You know, they, they, they could have been more differentiated. And then I was left later being like, is that a loose end that we have to tie up? Do you need to go talk to the mayor? Does the mayor do something different? Or is he just going to say the same thing that Carolyn is going to say? Zero chance that Tez was going to go talk to that mayor again. That guy was an idiot. <laughs> would you have played a different class? Because we had talked about that at the beginning. You picked Rogue because it would play well on on an AP. I wouldn't. I, I mean, I really like Tez and uh, I guess spoiler alert for level four uh, is I'm, I'm going to pick up some Artificer as well. Uh, yeah. So it'll be kind of a Rogue Artificer. I like the idea of a stealthy Rogue in power armor. <laughs> so we're, we're <laughs> headed that direction. <laughs> I'm happy with the choice I made. I mean, the the biggest choice or the most kind of difficult choice was when I hit level three, mm-hmm. whether or not I go for Thief, which felt very Tez, or Swashbuckler, which could also be Tez, mm-hmm. but is way stronger as a solo. Yeah. Purely solo being able to proc your own sneak attack every round is like priceless. Which works for a pirate from the Lazar Principalities. It does, and it would have been fine, but I wanted to mix it up and play Thief because I've never played Thief. I have played Swashbuckler, and every time I use any rogue, like, you know, I'm, I'm looking for that. So I just, you know, it feels like Swashbuckler is such like a... Like, Swashbuckler and Assassin are such staple rogues that I felt like maybe it would be better to showcase something different for the show. Um, I don't regret it, but that is probably the area that I spent the most time hemming and hawing over. I mean, and I love Thief, and I love the abilities of the Thief, um, and they did come in useful, so I'm glad you ended up taking it. They did, except that I don't have any casting, so I can't use scrolls yet, and I don't mm, have use right. magical device because it's level 13. Yeah. That part of it, that when I like looked at it and I realized that like all I can do is take potions, I was like, this actually is like really stupid. To keep yourself alive. <laughs> sure, sure, but like... If you care about that. Not when you get one shot by stuff. Yeah. So I think we might differ on sidekicks. You're not a fan of sidekicks. I hate sidekicks. They might work better when they're an NPC that's shared by the group, right? Like, so if you have one sidekick for a group of four, like, sure, I think these rules make some sense and the sheet is fine. They're a big pain in the ass for solo, especially when you have a couple of them, which is kind of what you need if you're not tailoring a module for solo play. They have lots of abilities. They're just as fiddly. The math is a, is a annoying. And I mean, frankly, D&D Beyond doesn't have great support for it. It's basically no support. Yeah. You had, to, you had to write their sheets in a Google Doc. So I'm only keeping track of like the most important bits. And then also like the idea that anybody can be a sidekick, but they get filtered into three classes. And if you don't happen to have the stat useful for that class, they're useless. Hey, it's a kobold. Kobolds are supposed to be sorcerers, right? Like they're draconic, draconic sorcerer. That's a thing, right? So I was like, cool, you're a, you're a sorcerer now. And it's like, haha, joke's on you. You should have picked the rogue version so he could have done something useful with his decks. Like mm-hmm. the rules suck. The rule just sucks for that. And like, it doesn't have the flexibility to like fix the game world logic to match the character sheet. Cause like Meepo absolutely should be a sorcerer or a ranger. <laughs> yeah, he'd be fine as a rogue or a ranger. Like either one of those would be fine. But like the fact that like just by default he doesn't have charisma, therefore he can't be a charisma caster. Therefore, mm-hmm. there's no cobalt sorcerer sidekicks. This is not useful. Like that 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 it's just restrictive. It does put a, like a PC ability template on top of NPC stats, and those are t- or monster stats. Really, they don't really feel like a sidekick when you're playing with them. They feel like another PC. They don't have all the abilities of a PC, but they have 85% of the abilities of a PC at low level because mm-hmm. PCs don't have that many options. So, like, I got to play three characters now, except two of them are kind of shitty, uh, and one of them is me. And then I got to <laughs> share the responsibility, right? That doesn't feel like a sidekick to me if I got to fiddle with all of their mechanics and sheets and stuff. Now I'm spending just as much time playing them as I am playing me. Mm-hmm. To me, a sidekick, like, narratively in, like, the fiction... The sidekick shows up, does the thing that like unlocks the situation or resets the balance or changes the fight and then disappears again because they're a sidekick. 
<laughs> like they don't take the spotlight and get all the like headshot kills and become like you know <laughs> the like the head knocker right like that's not a sidekick that's a that's another protagonist i love meepo but like that's not a sidekick someone's jealous of meepo perfect I, I, I'm not. I mean, I think it's so I actually think it's really cool if that were if I were creating a sidekick, like I would treat it like like a legendary action or something like that, where it's like once per round or once per fight, like Meepo does his thing, which is use the head knocker, right? Like knock somebody off their feet. Erky blesses you once per round or once per fight and like resets your hit points or something. This whole thing where I got to manage their placement and their positioning and like, are they getting flanked and are they going to die? And do I have to spend my actions to get my sidekick back up and like all this stuff? Like, does that feel like solo adventure to you? No, it feels like small group adventure. It's just a different thing. It does bring up the question as to like where sidekicks, like what kind of game sidekicks really fit in? Because there's this tension in solo play. It was useful for me for you to have a bigger party. Sure. Because it meant that I had to change less of the module. I didn't have to like reduce the difficulty that much or, or in, in, in the end at all, really. Not because the sidekicks are so powerful, but because in a lot of ways they're damaged sponges. Right. Yes, exactly. They're, they're ablative armor for Tez's hit points. A massive amount of armor because as soon as they become NPCs or sidekicks, suddenly they get death saving throws, which right. means they, they basically have maybe five times the hit points effectively. Mm-hmm. as long as you can you know, choose to get them back up. And with one as a healer, well, two as healers, actually, then it's right. not difficult. <laughs> one is a good healer. Okay, so if it works in some capacity in solo play, but takes away from the aspect of solo play that you actually want, it doesn't really work in a big group either because it would be a nightmare for a party of four to each have their own sidekick. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't say that you'd each have your own sidekick. I would think it would be like a group sidekick that takes one action to benefit the group each round. If you could do that, certainly. Now, if you run the module as written, you go in with four characters, between four and six characters, and then you come out with two additional sidekicks. And that's that's way too many, especially if anyone has summons or pets or familiars or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, totally. No, no, no. And I I get that this is like the sidekick rules are written for D&D to fit them into fiddly D&D combat. Right. And and I just like I just I find it frustrating. They're called sidekicks because to Mm. me, they're NPC companions. This is where like the kind of game and simulation of D&D like meets the storytelling of D&D. And I, I think it falls down a little bit for what I would be looking for um, and, and how I would envision it. But like, hey, to each his own, right? Like I can go write a, se- a, a series of sidekick feats if I wanted to, to empower characters with side sidekick abilities that are just kind of just off screen at any moment until they show up. It's nice that the option exists in the game. It is obviously an afterthought in terms of the way it was implemented. It, it is an efficiently implemented afterthought. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about actual plays of format because this is like our first time on this podcast doing an actual play, mainly because we have poo-pooed it for so long. Indeed. So we did do Stream of Blades, right? And we've we participated in some streamed games. And so this was this is definitely a different experience, I think, uh, like the pre-record versus live play aspect is uh I, I cannot speak enough about the luxury that editing provides oh absolutely i i don't think we could have done this before we had a rom editing mm-hmm, uh mm-hmm. It, like I, I don't think either of us could have made this uh anything close to what it what it was uh anywhere near as entertaining uh, I don't think we would have enjoyed listening to our own work as much as we did if we hadn't had Aram doing the soundscaping, letting us do retakes, killing all the dead air, like editing out our rules lookups, like just all of that stuff was really helpful. Longtime listeners know that for most of the life of the show, we edited our own episodes. And it's only recently since the pandemic that we brought Aram on to do that. Even... On our own, knowing how to edit, it would not have looked or sounded anything like this. Like you, when you listen back to your own game, you're like, "This sounds way better than we actually played out." What are you talking about? It's because the dead air got cut. You can tell that like a line gets dropped, and then the music swells, and there's a long pause, much longer than we actually had in real life, and then the action kicks in. Like it, it is, it is excellent timing and pacing. 
he added a ton of gravity and drama to a lot of moments. The uh, the Skelebro moment when he appears like is this like burning beacon <laughs> <laughs> to to turn the tide of the fight, right? Like a sidekick should, <laughs> like to to burn the tree. Like uh, what what Aram did with that editing was completely without our direction, right? He just listened to it, and was like, nope, this is the moment. We got to play this up. Here's how you do it. I know how to do that. I'm a competent editor, and I'm like, great. Thank God we have him. We give him no direction on the audio. Okay, just let's make that clear. That is not us. Yeah, all we do is tell him where the files are and what we screwed up that needed to be re-recorded so he can right. piece it together in case we noticed. I think we dropped three F-bombs. Please try right. to get those. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the other thing, though, is like pacing is important, but it's also differently important uh, between like a podcast and like a live stream. Like in Stream of Blades, which, you know, I feel like I had I feel like I had a lot of the pacing responsibility as like the GM for that game, like because we had to like end each session on time. We had to end it on the right beat. Right. We didn't want it to just go out like it couldn't be a cliffhanger. But then it also like wasn't going to be like just kind of like, OK, well, we're at time. So guess we'll just pick up next week. You know, like it had to have like it had to have some some forward drive to it. But then like. You know, you also have to manage the dead air like you've got to either fill or vamp or like give people time to think. And it, it's just like it was a lot more managing performance as part of like live streaming that we just mm -hmm. didn't have to do with Sunless Citadel. We know when there's going to be a, an edit to take out dead air. And so you're just very quiet while someone's thinking. Make it really easy for a ROM to find the dead air. Yeah, I do think, though, like having to have something interesting happen every hour is something that I might take into my like live games. You know, we always talk about one shots, like a four hour session is three hours in an ending. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think it's also good to have a tonal shift or something happen to move things along, to prod them forward every mm -hmm. hour in there. And I think that's something I'll probably just keep in mind uh, in the future. Yeah, I think you did a good job, uh, intentionally or otherwise, of like balancing like the pacing between like, is this episode driven by combat? Is this driven by role play? Is this driven by like advancing the story, right? Or like and by story I mean like generally like the overall the overarching story of like the world. I guess the history really <laughs> but like it felt like every episode you like we drove one of those things forward mm -hmm. right um and and so like I, I think I don't know I I haven't listened to the whole thing like straight through to like maybe we missed for an hour but like I feel like that's what we were aiming for right is like each episode had to at least accomplish one of those things in an interesting way or else it was kind of like would fall flat using a classic module like Sun the Citadel helped with that I don't even necessarily know that it was intentional in terms of the module but because it is old school it does mostly adhere to the general tropes of an interesting thing will happen every few rooms just because that is what propels the dungeon crawl yeah but you didn't make me slog through a couple rooms to get an interesting <laughs> reward right you just paced that out according to what we needed for where we were in our recording of the time you know like hey if we're at 30 minutes like I don't want to go through two dull rooms to get to the third interesting one. Like, I'm going to summarize two dull rooms and tell you what's in the third. I'm a huge fan. And that's easier in solo play, right? To just be like, here's what you saw, and I know you're not interested in that. Rather than three other people being like, well, maybe I was interested. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, you weren't. Shut up. Mm -mm. No one was. <laughs> They're dull rooms. It says here, right in the module. <laughs> Empty, bare cupboard. Um, the digital tools helped a lot. Um, it was nice to just run this thing straight out of D&D Beyond. I just read the box text off my screen. I don't think putting together an AP without digital tools, especially remotely, makes nearly as much sense. Not having to flip through books, right? Like, I mean, for Stream of Blades, like literally would have been impossible to to manage the sheets that are necessary for, for Band of Blades without mm -hmm. Roll20 integration. Like Roll20 was our, was our character repository. Without that, it would have been impossible. Absolutely. On the character side, like on the, the player side, like, having the character sheet, having like clickable reference, like being able to quickly add and drop items and spells. Like the biggest concern was that my like typing on the keyboard to like bring those things up was going <laughs> to like corrupt the audio. 
<laughs> but after I got over that and Aram's editing took that out, like it was great because it, it just put everything at our fingertips and no like, wait, which book is that spell in? Like flip to the S's, you know, like figure this out. Look these two things up side by side. It was just like very easy. Right. No post-it notes or anything like at the beginning before we recorded, I would simply open D&D Beyond, go to the part in the adventure that we were starting at and then. I knew approximately what we were going to be able to get through. So just in different tabs, I opened up all the monster stat blocks for everything you might possibly encounter or scrolls or whatever. So I just need to flick between the different tabs once you're like, okay, what does that do? Uh, Of course, absolutely no current support for sidekicks. Maybe that'll come in the future, which will make that a lot easier. Yeah. Because then you could just have three tabs with everyone's abilities. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could add them as a monster stat block or something, but like yeah. that isn't super intuitive in D&D Beyond. Like it's doable, it's not unmanageable, but like it gets into the same problem that like the artificer pets got into where it was mm-hmm. like I had to learn D&D Beyond like markup code in order to like make it work and it just it was just annoying. Yeah, I was thinking about doing that for Skelebro now that Skelebro is going to be um, a sidekick, but I was like, I need to like create a homebrew monster and every time anything changes, I need to edit the monster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I will say I really like the one-on-one format for actual play. Like it's very, I found it very easy. Obviously I know our voices, but to keep track of two voices rather than like four or Mm -hmm. five or like God help six voices in a show (laughs) drives me insane. I really liked that it was just the two of us. Like that made it very easy to listen to. And then also very easy to like align on our schedules because we could just, hey, it's 11 o'clock on a Tuesday. We're recording now. It was also like, like you said, like we know, we knew what our interests were. We kind of knew the direction we liked. Uh, we knew the themes that we were each picking up on and we were able to just lean into it without having to like build any consensus or get any agreement. I think that helped the show move quickly and like move coherently. One thing that takes me out of actual play is like when there's the one person who's premise rejecting or the one person who's like, that's you. What are you talking about? You're the one. You're the one premise rejecting. When I'm the only one, it's perfect. <laughs> that is the the rejection is the premise. But you have that one person who's like pulling on a thread adjacent or or a tangent, and it's like, no, the cool story's over there. That's what everyone's driving towards. Get on board, dude. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. stop. Like, who cares about this little thing from your backstory right now? We're not focused on that. Move on. Yeah, it was nice to never have a time when like someone wasn't paying attention because it's just us. Yeah, that is one thing is that you have to be on the whole time. <laughs> I finished a lot more tired than I usually do from playing role-playing games. <laughs> one-on-one also did make it like a treat, um, like a special occasion to have on Aram as our guest for the finale. I did not expect, by the way. <laughs> I mean, I knew that Aram was going to be like joining and I like I, I figured Aram would play uh, an Aram character, you know, like a lot of gravitas and um, sort of inscrutable. But uh i did not expect flame wind <laughs> that was like and i i don't even remember if this made it into the final cut but like you said flame wind and i was like wait a minute wait a minute isn't flame Wind like a named character yeah, from yeah. the book <laughs> like wait, wait, wait hang on like fl- fl- <laughs> the flame like <laughs> i gave him some notes and he, he did he did, ran with them it was great <laughs> the finale since it had absolutely nothing to do with the module was the thing that i spent actually the most time on prepping and i don't know if this occurred to you um it's basically the same mechanics as the uh angel trial in the original morning glory campaign i absolutely picked up on that and i absolutely (laughs) did the same thing of not preparing anything and just winging it so (laughs) i assumed you would do that i also did too and i think it worked out fine and then sometimes i was just like i don't know aram what do you do talking about that a little bit because you didn't share the format beforehand and i didn't really know what i was preparing for for that episode oh i told aram the format beforehand because i knew that he wouldn't optimize a character to break those rules given a week (laughs) (laughs) i i wouldn't have done that either The, the thing is like so so here was my fear as we were recording that was that like and this actually goes into one of the challenges of like one to one and one to one for actual play is like it was totally dependent on my spontaneous creativity at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday around a bunch of history that we had like accumulated over six months where I didn't take a lot of notes. Like I didn't have a lot of detailed notes about it. Right. And so it was like, start your thesis. And I was like, 
what is my thesis? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'll just start recapping some weird stuff we learned. And you're like, cool, you're going full conspiracy theory. And I was like, I guess I am because <laughs> that's all I remember, Ishan. <laughs> you didn't give me time to prepare this. So I guess that's what Tez does. He shoots a shot. Which is exactly what I think Tez as a grad student would have done. Woke up and be like, wait, what is crap? What is my thesis? <laughs> but Tez, so Tez... Tez is prepared, right? That's what makes Tez... I, I think that's what I was going for with Tez, is that he is a hard worker because he's not brilliant, but he's like quick to get in over his head, and then he improvises and figures it out. He'll get punched in the jaw, <laughs> but then he'll get back up and through some clever way, like, get himself out of it. Like, that's the Tez that I was, like, kind of thinking of. And that's sort of what happened in that as well, right? But I think the uh, the being completely unprepared um versus being completely overwhelmed like i think i would have preferred tez come off as overwhelmed and maybe to a degree hey it's flame wind maybe he was mm. um but like to a degree like as a player like i felt like i should have been more prepared to represent tez better which was a bit of a challenge but like again like that's the sort of the nature of like i think some of the fun of actual play is like dropping that surprise on the player and then like getting the as the audience you get that sort of like meta sense of like oh shane is really struggling right now right that's entertaining <laughs> to watch somebody squirming but at the same time like getting a story that's actually like entertaining and interesting out of it so i i think we walked that line a little bit it isn't exactly what i would have preferred as a as a performer but uh, i definitely enjoyed the episode with just doing what i usually do in these moments which is show up unprepared and wig it Actual play, I think, is is excellent practice for just regular GMing and like regular play. Um, mm -hmm. You're thrown into it. You can't pause or stop because you know you need to keep everything moving. Um, and I think we have talked a lot in the past about emergent character backgrounds, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, those are like you sort of come with a character who doesn't really have a particularly defined background or like there's one thing you know about them. And then as you play, you sort of figure out additional things about them or you add that to your character and you say, oh, actually, this is true about them. Um, and that helps you really tie it into the story uh, as opposed to showing up with like a four page document about their backstory and then the GM has to work that in. Yeah, Tess's backstory was like, three high concept ideas right <laughs> and, and and like a, a an urgent problem which is he needs money for tuition <laughs> and now it's not it's not bad to show up with that much information like a gm can find that helpful but it, emergent role play works really well in these kinds of situations too where like i didn't know what the characterization of a random npc in the town was going to be but like we talk that person talks with tez for 10 minutes and like now they have a personality and like okay, great that's what it's going to be now you know, I, there was one of those moments for Tez, too, when he threw up uh, mm -hmm. after after killing the hobgoblins like uh, like I kind of I, I mean, I didn't go into it expecting him to do that. And and I was even like canonically wrong that it wasn't the first time he'd killed somebody <laughs> like as much as he likes to see himself as like hardened. He's killed a bunch of rats <laughs> you know, like he hasn't killed a person yet like he's killed like he's destroyed dead things, you know, like and now he's actually killing a person admittedly a bad one but like a hobgoblin is a person and as an eberron character like it would mean something to tez you know right and i think that's not a character choice that you would have made about tez in episode one certainly not in, in episode one my my sort of inspiration for tez was dr afra the only reason she doesn't come off as a complete murderous psychopath is the fact that her two droids are actual murderous psychopaths. <laughs> <laughs> She's the least psychopathic murderer of the three of them. <laughs> you can also hear this in like even my characterization of voices, you know, starting with a voice and just, you know, it wobbles a bit until I'm like, all right, I think that one's different enough from another voice. And that's a voice I can do long term and then I can probably remember. And then they come up three weeks later and I'm like, crap, what was their voice again? Let's just go with it and we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Some some character drift. Yeah. <laughs> some recasting in the moment. AP is great practice to make you, like, force you to commit to choices and then mm -hmm. just go with them and spin out an interesting tale and character. Uh, we are running long on time, Ishan, so why don't we draw some sort of conclusion here? Would you play Sunless Citadel again? I would probably run it for people, especially newbies, because it is so straightforward and introduces you to so many of the tropes. I would switch a lot of things up because some of the tropes don't actually make any sense if you're not familiar with D&D. &D. 
uh, I think it's ruined for me in terms of playing it as a character because <laughs> I just I know it all now. It would have to be completely different. Um, but like I would do this um, this scenario, this uh, actual play thing that we did. I would do that again, certainly. Yeah, same. I don't think I would play Sunless Citadel again. I think I've I've been through it enough now. But I think I would run it uh, sort of similar to the way that like you ran it. Like I like some of the themes that you tied together. So I think I would be interested in running that for new players. I think it's a fine module. Hmm. Not great. Certainly not the best. Obviously has some shortcomings that can, you know, be reworked. Um, but I would I would definitely run it again. Would you play a solo D and D game again? Uh, yeah, I would. I mean, I would do another actual play. I would, I would actually love to do more. Um, if that's something that our listeners like, um, I'd, I'd absolutely be down for that. I, I really like the format. I really, like I said, I really like the solo format uh, for actual play. In terms of running just a solo game, I think I would for the right people, right? Like I could definitely like family members, somebody like that, you know, where like uh, we don't have a group. We don't really have like a regular like sort of schedule, but like I'd like to like share this hobby and activity. Like I think that's a great, great format for it um or like one or two people um honestly like i don't know that i would just play a solo adventure with you if we weren't recording it for an actual play because it is still a lot of time it is still a lot of work and like if it weren't for the audience i don't know that i would get the full effect right like i I think i would rather play with all of our friends than just play with one of our friends (laughs) I think that's a good point. Like it's a good way potentially to introduce people to the game or maybe play with a significant other. And then you can explore a lot of themes Mm -hmm. that you can't do with like, you know, a random other gamer. Yeah. I I don't have any, like, I think solo play is great uh, in the right situations. I just think, you know, given that we have a lot of history playing in our group, like I think our group would be um, how I would prefer to invest in a campaign rather than the two of us solo. But the real conclusion is whatever uh, you out there think. So, I don't know. Let us know. All right. Do you hear that, Ishan? That is the door slamming on our actual play because it is finally over. And I th- I think it's in jail. I think that's where we put it. Maybe that's where it belongs. It's going to horny jail. Oh, stupid, sexy Meepo. <laughs> yeah, Meepo's going to horny jail. And his... He has a charisma of 10 now. I'm pretty sure you're using his ASI on charisma. <laughs> yes. Yes, the the silk shirt was a uh, the equivalent of an ASI. <laughs> All right, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M U N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPT Cast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Before we wrap up, we want to take one more moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show now once again every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. All the proceeds go to Aram. All right. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about using voices because we just did a bunch of that. And in the character creation forge, we're building the big talker. Well, that's it for actual play episode 15 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name. But either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.